So, who's actually dreaming of a late Christmas? Yeah, isn't that funny? They obviously didn't grow up in Florida. That song's really dumb, I'm sorry. Anyway, boo, okay. How many of you got your Christmas shopping done? Show-offs, yeah. Well, for those of you who don't, we're gonna have a little time to pray for you later. Just kidding. Hey, um, you know, Jesus really is the reason for the season. We say that. There's a, uh, something that comes to mind every year. I always talk about the familiarity of becoming complacent, and Christmas might be uh, one of those seasons that we tend to be most guilty of that, just taking so much for granted. So I'm hoping today as we uh, journey through this message that it'll maybe um, just stir up the mystery of Christmas a little bit. And we're just going to center around uh, the talk around one question. Who is this baby? Who is the baby of Christmas? So grab your Bibles, turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of context uh, for this passage that we're about to read because I think it helps us to know what's going on. The, the truth of the matter is we really can't make good biblical interpretation unless we know the context. Context matters. If we don't really know what it meant to the original reader, we really don't know what it means to you and I. So context is critical. If you think about it this way, Colossians is a letter that's written to a church, and we're only getting one side of the conversation, right? We're only getting the letter. We, if we don't really know what's going on, then we can read all kinds of things into it that aren't there, and we can make bad interpretation. It's sort of like we're listening to one side of a phone conversation. So um, I brought a commercial to show you that gives you a perfect example of what happens when you get context wrong. So let's show this quick video. Yeah, I'm married. Doesn't matter. You do that for me? Really? Yeah, I'd like that. Who are you talking to? Uh, it's Jake from State Farm. Sounds like a really good deal. Jake from State Farm at 3 in the morning? Who is this? It's, it's Jake from State Farm. What are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? Uh, khakis. She sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, so... Another reason more people stay with State Farm. Get to a better state. Silly. But it makes the point, context matters, right? If you're listening to one side of a conversation, you assume the wrong context, you're gonna make all of the wrong applications. But in this particular case, the letter is written to a group of Jesus followers, and they are practicing something called syncretism. Syncretism, and if you look at the word syncretism, uh, you can quickly figure out what it means. It's, it's, just, it's bringing together different belief systems. So the people at the church where this letter was written to were practicing Jesus plus something else. Maybe it was Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus good works. Maybe it was Jesus plus wealth. Maybe it was Jesus, whatever it is, right? It was Jesus plus something else. They were synchronizing there. Probably even in this case, it was Jesus plus a little bit of sacrifice to some of the Roman gods, whether it was a god of fertility or, or whatever. They had taken all of these different belief systems and, and, and synchronized them, if you will, into, into a different way of practicing their religious faith. Right, And so I think it's great that we don't know exactly what they're doing because that allows us to then apply it to ourselves. If we knew that they were sacrificing to Roman gods, we'd be like, well, at least I don't do that. At least I assume most of us don't sacrifice to Roman gods. But it, it helps us that we don't know what it is because then it applies to us. And what I want you to, to start with this uh, premise that we all are guilty of this syncretism. We all add something 
to the gospel. At one time or another in our walk with God, we, we add things to it. We add things to the, to the mystery and, and the beauty of the gospel. And what I'm hoping is, as we unpack the question, who is this baby of Christmas, that it will help us to not do that. It will help us to know the ultimate supremacy of Christ. So when you read Colossians, anytime you open that particular letter, I just want you to to have that in mind. This is written to help the people to know that Jesus needs to be supreme. He needs to be the all in all. It's all about Jesus. We taught through Colossians uh, a little over a year ago, and we called that whole series, Enough is Enough, that Jesus is enough, and he's all you need. So that's the context. So the question we're looking at is, who is the baby of Christmas. Colossians 1, we're gonna start reading in verse 15, and I'm gonna stop reading at verse 22. He, the baby of Christmas, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, all of us, we were once, we were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, this letter. I thank you for Colossians. I thank you for this particular passage. And uh, in these next few minutes, I just pray that you would guide my words and that you would open our hearts to pray that there would be seeds of truth planted, that would, roots would go deep, that would grow and bear fruit a hundredfold. We pray this week, as we've prayed every week, that people would leave different than they came because they've sat in the presence of the living God. Do what only you can do. Speak a word and do our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. So verses 15 through 20 are most likely a hymn or a creed. It's, it might be a song or it might just be a, a creed. You know what a creed is? Like a memorized uh, phrase that people uh, put to memory so that they could uh, walk with God more faithfully. But what we, what we know to be true is it's, it's one of two. Maybe it was one of the first Christmas carols. I don't know. But it was something that was known to the people. And so Paul is writing to this letter and he's helping them to remember something that they know but they may not have internalized or may not have, have, have committed themselves to but they're words that they know. And, and the fact is, this creed is going to dictate how they move forward, how they navigate life. The fact is, we all have a creed. We all have a belief system. We all believe certain things and, and what we believe dictates how we navigate our lives. What we believe about the baby of Christmas is part of your inner creed, if you will. It's part of your belief system. It will affect how you move forward. So if we look at the passage, and we look at the passage from the question of who is this baby, it starts in verse 15 with, he is the image of the invisible God. 
I love this. This is one of my favorite phrases in scripture. It's just eight words, but it captures my imagination. He is the image of the invisible God. And what it tells me is that the more I learn about Jesus, the more I study the person of Jesus, the more I study the gospels, the more I spend time in the word, the more I understand who God is or who Jesus is, the more I understand who God is. That it sets us on a journey, if you will, of discovery, right? That we get a chance to to learn and to, to grow more and more as we study the gospels that we get to know God more. He's the image of the invisible God. It should inspire us. It should motivate us. Jesus said he came to make the Father known. He said, if you know me, you know the Father who sent me. If you see me, you see the Father. If you go to the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews actually writes that he, Jesus, or the baby of Christmas, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. And the challenge here is how do we grasp something like this? How do we even begin to see this? I was talking to Meg earlier this week, and I was expressing that, um, and I I hope this doesn't hurt your feelings, but this is one of the hardest sermons for me every year, because it's Christmas, and what can I say that you haven't already heard, and the story's so familiar, and and I was talking about this passage, and I was just talking about how I've been wrestling with it all week, and how do I I even use words to bring this forward? And, And Meg said to me, that uh, that makes perfect sense because you know in Corinthians it says thanks be to God for the inexpressible gift. If you go to the NIV it actually says indescribable gift. And so my challenge today is to try to describe the indescribable, to express the inexpressible. It sounds like a pretty hard task, but really that's our journey. And even as we prayed for you this morning, it was that the Holy Spirit would do the work of helping you to understand a little bit more, to express to you the inexpressible, to describe to you the indescribable. So I'm going to attempt to use this passage to express the inexpressible. And what I'm going to do is start by talking about the, the attributes reflected in the baby of Christmas. What does it tell us about God? As we look at the baby, what does that story tell us about God? Because if he is the image of God, then just looking at his life and who he is will give us this imprint or this image of God. And the first thing that we see as an attribute or the reflection of the baby of Christmas is God's relentless pursuit. God has gone to extreme measures to show you his unfailing love, right? Jesus was willing to humble himself and take on the very form of a human in order to reach you and I. I would say that no one has ever traveled a greater distance, has ever degraded themselves more to show someone how much they're loved. The distance that he traveled is greater and more profound than anything. That that God is relentless in his pursuit for you. Look at verse 22, the passage we said. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before God. The word reconciled there actually means to exchange hostility for friendly relations. The passage tells us that we were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Romans 5 tells us that while we were enemies of Christ, 
he died for you. This relentless pursuit. And this hostility that is talked about here in this passage is really uh, just a way of talking about our sin, our sin nature, right? The Bible tells us that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. All of us have sin in our lives, and that sin actually separates us from God. It creates hostility between us and God. Sin separates us from God, but Jesus travels this incredible distance of being, yet being in every way equal to God, did not consider equality with God something we grasp, but it says he made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a human. He did that to rescue us from our sin, right? The problem we had was a human problem, and it took a human, the the Jesus who was fully God and fully human, had to happen in order to lift the curse of sin. The baby demonstrates that God will go to any length to save you, to rescue you, shows us that God is relentlessly pursuing you, even now. Amen, you can clap for that, that's good news. The second thing we see in this picture of the baby is radical generosity, radical generosity. Generosity is just defined as a willingness to give help or support more than is usually expected. That's what the Cambridge English Dictionary says. Willingness to give help or support, especially more than is usual or expected. More than expected. And I would say this is the kind of giving that, that's hard, right? It, 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 the word that I would put with it if you want to talk about radical generosity is there's a, a sacrifice that comes along with it. The Apostle Paul describes the, the church in Philippi as being a church that gives out of their poverty, Right? They give when they don't even have any extra to give, and he talks about that as, as a picture of radical generosity. They give even though they don't have extra. And the baby in the manger, this baby of Jesus, is a picture of radical generosity. Right? Just like I said, who being in very nature God takes on the form of a baby to give of himself everything that he has. The baby of Christmas is a beautiful reflection of God's relentless pursuit, his radical generosity, and then the third one, his unconditional love. So one of the things I think we struggle with, and if you're honest with yourselves, you'll probably get this, but we tend to think, if I just do this, then God will love me more. Or maybe we see it the other way, if I just stop doing this, oh, then God will love me more. Right? And what we don't understand is that, that God's love is unconditional. God loves you beyond your wildest imagination. He's not telling you, if you just stop drinking, then I'd love you more. If you just gave more money when Doug talks about impact, then I'll love you more. No, God loves you regardless. His love for you is unconditional. You can't do something. <laughs> you cannot do something and you cannot stop doing something that's going to make God loves you more right? He loves you. Matter of fact, he loves you so much that he gave his son for you. He sent this baby that's the baby of Jesus. He is the image and the reflection of his unconditional love. While you were still hostile, the passage says, he came for you. He rescued you. And here's the deal. I am more convinced than ever that our journey towards mental health and spiritual health is a journey of understanding the love of God. Yes. That, 
the more you the more you can understand the more you can grasp the more you can believe in your inner creed that God loves you the more you're going to be able to navigate the challenges of life and the baby of christmas is just a reminder of the length God's going to go to show you how much he loves you not because you did anything but because you are who you are so we've talked a little bit about these, the, the, the inexpressible, the, the indescribable gift, and I've talked a bit about God's character, but if you read this passage, he shifts from this, these character sort of statements and begins to talk about God, Jesus' authority, Jesus' position in the universe. And, and I wanna go through these pretty quick, and all of these kind of hinge on the word all. So I, when I taught through this uh, last fall, I told you to underline the word all. There's seven times the word all is used, and that helps to make sense of what this creed was saying, uh, but I want to walk through them real quick, and, and if you need more, you can go back to, to last September in the Enough is Enough series, and, and I unpack all these a lot more, but, but these are a picture of, of who Jesus is, and what I want you to just think about is all of this is represented in a vulnerable baby. It is a profound mystery when we start talking about these all statements, and you attach them to the baby of Christmas. So the first thing it says in, in verse 15, he is the firstborn of all creation. Now this is a little bit confusing because it's Christmas. We would very easily think firstborn must mean that he was, he was born, but the firstborn here doesn't mean anything about childbirth. As a matter of fact, the same words used 100 times in the scriptures, all 100 times, it's referring to positional authority. Firstborn over all creation means that he is in charge of, he is over, he rules over all all creation, the baby of Christmas rules over all creation. The second all statement is that he created all things. Look at verse 16. It says, for by him all things were created. So when you read the Genesis account of creation, it says, let there be light, and it says, let the, there be expanse between the seas, and, and land was formed. Let the land produce vegetation. Every time those words were spoken, and then it came to be, the words were spoken by Jesus. He's the word of God that spoke everything into creation. The baby Jesus, right? I don't know if you're starting to get this, but there's a profound mystery in that, isn't there? The image that we need to hold on to is just unimaginable power, but not just power, inexpressible creativity. I am a nature guy. I love nature, and nature is a, is a worship thing for me, whether it's an ocean, a mountain, whatever it is, the woods. Uh, I love nature, and what it reminds me of is God's creativity. But the creation story is a story of bringing beauty out of chaos. It's actually bringing beauty out of nothing, and so the, the beauty of the creation story for you and I is whether you have chaos in your life, whether you have places in your life, it's, it's beauty from ashes. It's saying, God, you can take all of this mess or even this emptiness and you can create something beautiful, something awesome out of it. The creation story brings us hope. The baby of Jesus brings us hope. The fourth all statement that we see in this passage is verse 16. It says, all things are created for him. All things are created through him and for him is what it says. And so what's the difference between uh, by him or for him? And the, the point is, in this particular case, it means that creation, all creation, heaven and earth, everything visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authority, were created to be in complete subordination to Jesus. 
right? They're, they're for him. They're, they're there to serve him. They're there for him. It's different than by him. The image reflected in the baby of Christmas is nothing is out of his control and nothing is, is, is outside of his rule and his authority. It also is a reminder that nothing in your life surprises him. Right, whatever difficulties you run into, whatever things you navigate that are hard, Jesus is not surprised by those. He's not surprised by our political climate, right? And sometimes we throw in the towel or we panic or we do whatever we do because there's so much going on and, and God is not surprised by what's going on. All things were created by him and for him. It says he is, in verse 17, is before all things, this is not referring to positional authority. This is just referring to God's eternal existence. The baby of Jesus was and is and is to come. We have to remember that. He is not a created being. He was there always. He always will be. That he is forever, right? He is beyond time and space. The image reflected in the baby of Christmas is that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Verse 17 says, in him all things hold together. I said this when I taught through this last time, but it's because of Jesus that we have the cosmos and not chaos. Every cell of your body is held together by Jesus. That's what this passage is saying. Gravity, oxygen, stars, the moon, the sun, it's all held together. It's all sustained by him. I read a research study this week and it said that if the earth were just to be the tiniest percentage further from the sun, it would be unrecognizable, inhospitable ball of ice locked into a permanent ice age. That perfect distance to sustain life, it's all held together by Jesus, the baby of Christmas. How profound is that? Verse 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God, all God's word, God's wisdom, God's glory, God's mercy, God's power, all of that dwells in the baby of Jesus. He is the perfect imprint, the image of God, and all of this pleases God. I think the the encouragement of that passage, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, is that this can be a difficult journey. I think for some of you, uh, and I just had the conversation with two of you before the service started, you are struggling with a deep sense of emptiness this Christmas because you've lost somebody. And my encouragement to you is just to lean in and to ask God if he would bring something to that emptiness, if, that, if he would bring some filling in the midst of, the scriptures say that he comforts those who mourn, Right? And so there's an invitation in this difficult season to just turn to God and maybe in this difficult to ex- season to experience God in a way you never have before. Maybe to experience the baby of Christmas in a way that you never have before. And then the last all statement in this passage is he came as a baby to reconcile to himself all things, Right, All things, the, the entire cosmos, all the earth is put back into place. The universe is under its proper head and, and peace is returned. Something is set right in the coming of the baby of Christmas through the death and the resurrection of Christ. Remember what 
Reconciliation means to exchange hostility for friendly relations. It implies that we were alienated from God. But verse 21 says that, that, that he came and, and that we were enemies, and then it says that he's now reconciled in his body of flesh, which is a picture of the baby, by his death in order to present you and I holy and blameless above reproach before God. The mystery of the baby of Christmas is that he's all of these things. My prayer for you this holiday season is that this profound mystery would capture your imagination. My prayer for you is that you would begin a journey of discovering more and more the indescribable, inexpressible gift. My prayer is that it would invigorate you this Christmas season. that silent night when the stars turned their gaze to marvel at the earth when the heavens gathered breathless round a lowly stable when a young mother wept tears of worship falling on the baby in her arms and the song of the earth arose in Bethlehem soft as the tender beating of his heart and all was calm all was bright yet could this be the same god of abraham the conqueror of israel this baby this fragile life is this child the one who burned his name in rapture across the gasping skies whose voice spoke the oceans into crashing rhythms, who crafted the mountains into guardians of the firmament, whose hand ignited the thirst of the deserts and the warring surge of the elemental hosts, who breathed life from dust, broke the oppressor's rule, scattered the chains of his people like sand, and led them through the wilderness with the pillar of flame. Is this child the one whose presence billowed thunderous on Sinai's peak? Who surrounded Job with the roaring wind, stood defiant in the raging furnace, wrote judgment against tyrants, and blazed on the lips of the prophets, scorching history's pages with the fury of his might? Could this be the same God who chose to come as the vulnerable king? setting his throne on straw and manger, drawing forth the tears of shepherds, receiving the gifts of wandering travelers, his fame unknown in this world. He is Jesus, the one who thunders through the heavens, yet whispers to our hearts, who reigns victorious, yet bows to serve the broken. He is God in the fury, God in the silence. 
He holds this mystery balanced in his hands, holds our questions till they lose their need, until all we see is him. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to navigate this holiday season with a refreshed, renewed desire to know you more. I pray that the baby of Christmas would open our hearts and our minds to your relentless pursuit, your unconditional love, to your radical generosity. All power and authority wrapped up in vulnerability. I confess even as I stand up here and pray that I, I can barely comprehend. But it is a beautiful picture. Express to us in our hearts the inexpressible. Describe to our souls the indescribable. Use your spirit this holiday season to make your son known to us. Amen. Hey, we're going to move to communion. Uh, and here at Grace, if you've said yes to Jesus uh, as your Lord and Savior, then this is for you. You don't have to be a member of Grace. Uh, that's not what this is all about. Uh, but if you've said yes, it's for you. If your uh, child's in the room and they haven't, I would just encourage you to let it pass by them. Uh, and not expect them to take it as well. Uh, but we're going to pass it out. We're going to ask you to hold the elements, uh, and we'll take them together. The scriptures are pretty clear that, that, that we do this as a time to remember. We also do it as a time to, to examine, to just ask ourselves, how are we doing? How's our hearts? Is there bitterness? Is there unforgiveness? Is there uh, sin that we just need to give back to God? So before or as it's coming, if you just want to do some self-examination, I just encourage you to do that. And if the Lord is really just affirming that you're doing well, then just allow the few minutes as the music plays and the servers pass it out just to reflect on the gift that is Jesus, the baby that came who gave his life, that sacrificed everything so that we could have everything. So the servers, if you want to come down and grab the trays, uh, I'm going to pray for us as they hand these out. And again, if you just hold the elements, uh, we'll take them together. So Lord, I just pray in these next few minutes that your spirit would move in a powerful way. Reveal truth because truth is freedom. Spell the lies that hold us back. In Jesus' name. tell us that in that upper room on the very night that Jesus was going to be betrayed knowing everything that was about to happen to him. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you take it, 
remember me. Lord, help us to remember. Because in the same way he took the cup, said, this is my blood shed for you. Every time you drink it, remember me. Thank you for your relentless pursuit. Thank you for the cross. It's a reminder of the price that you would pay to reach each one of us. Lord, just help us to remember. May the truth of the gospel be seared in our hearts. read the gospel accounts, it says after they took the meal, they sang a hymn. We don't do hymns around here too often. And sorry if we're not going to do one now either. But anyway, we are going to sing. So John's going to lead us in uh, one more song. So if you don't mind standing and singing with us, that would be great.
service tomorrow night. If you uh, could go to the information counter, grab a card. We're asking everybody to attend one and serve one once we start the two services. So decide which service you're going to serve and which one you're going to attend and let us know. That'd be great. God bless you. Have a merry, merry, merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.